We're in a series, actually finishing up a series this morning called Marriaging. It's finally over, um, so hopefully your marriage is not, but the series is. We're finishing up this morning, and we're talking on parenting. Uh, this title is Mothers and Fathers, and we have a church filled with um, singles, young adults, college students. It's, the irony of it all is we have San, a lot of San Jose State students gone because they're on retreat. I just wonder if they like plan their retreat around, hey, they're talking on parenting. We're out of here. We're going to get away. I don't know. I don't think that's the case. But for those who are single in this room, for those who are not yet a parent, one of the best times to learn about parenting is before you're a parent. Those, we've been doing this series of marriaging, and you're single. You know, I'm not married, and I know so many of the principles cross over, but one of the best times to learn about marriage is way before you're married. And so even if you don't have kids, I'd encourage you, would you take notes? Would you maybe save it for later? Put it in a file. Okay, we don't do that anymore. Take a picture of it and, uh, and then put it in your phone file. Um, so I have three kids. My oldest is 12. She's going to Haiti with me next week, by the way. I'm really, really excited about that. We're going to pray for them at the end of the service. But I remember when Jenny told me that she was first pregnant. I was working part-time as a worship leader uh, at a church in Chicago and going to school full-time, and Jenny was the breadwinner working full-time at a crisis pregnancy center. And we were in uh, that kind of Bible college environment where it's ring by spring or your money back uh, type deal. And so a lot of people around us were having kids that were married. And we didn't have this big discussion that we were going to start a family. Uh, I didn't even know we were trying. I knew we were trying that way. Um, <laughs> trust me, I thought it was practice. Uh, and, and, so, and so I remember... Going out to dinner, date night, uh, to this restaurant on Yelp, it would be, it'd be a $2 sign, you know, restaurant. That was like the peak of what we could afford. You know, that was like going, whoa, way out. Um, and so we went out to this restaurant and sitting across the, my beautiful bride. We've been married, what, a year and a half, I think, maybe close to two. And she hands me a card. I go, I don't know what this card is. And so I open it up. And in it, it says that we're having a baby. And also in it was the little thing you pee on. (laughs) Now, I'm germaphobic. (laughs) We're sitting at dinner table, food. And this is a special moment, I get that, but everything within me is cringing. I'm going like, oh, oh, did you actually pee on, oh my gosh, ah, and you put it in there and I got to touch, ah, you know. And you know what's so funny, as I was completely overwhelmed in the moment, is how we processed it differently. My immediate response, I didn't go, ick, by the way, I, I was... I went, wow, this is great. Oh, boy. <laughs> but I, my first response is, how in the world am I going to provide for this little 
baby. Oh my goodness, I'm a part-time worship leader. (laughs) My wife's first response, it was interesting as we were unpacking it, was, oh my goodness, our relationship's going to change. She processed it completely relational, emotional, oh, we're not going to be able to do date nights, all these sort of things. And I just was started to figure out budgets, you know. Uh, And I just thought how funny and interesting that we process this incredible event completely different. So it's been 12 years, and I have the parenting thing figured out. I, I'm, I'm going to be the sage this morning, and in part, all of my grandiose wisdom to you, you are blessed. You, you consider yourself blessed. You are blessed to be able to partake of this. Okay. So here's what I know. There's a whole lot that I don't know, and I'm just getting to the teenage stage, okay? So as I speak on this, I recognize what I'm doing this morning. I'm preaching to myself. I am. I, I put this sermon together for me, and I hope it's good for you. And I took the best content from people that I know. I totally ripped it off. Because I thought, man, I don't know what I don't know, and they've been there, done that, and so we're on a journey together, and you just need to know, I don't have it all figured out. I got three kids, and in this, more than anything, I'm going to be saying amen in my own heart, saying remember that, and this is a reminder for me of what I want to keep before me that I've learned from others who's gone before me, and I certainly hope that it's helpful to you. So if you got your Bibles, if you'd open them up to Ephesians chapter 6, we're in verse 4. We've been journeying through the book of Ephesians. And by way of introduction, I just want to give some opening thoughts about parenting. And the first thought is this. Children are a blessing, not a burden. Children are a blessing. Scripture tells us that. That they're this blessing, and blessed is the one whose quiver is full of them. For any of us who have traveled and journeyed with those who struggle with infertility, we know what a blessing they are as we walk in their pain with them. However, it's been interesting that it, because we live in a society that is so focused on self and so focused on getting what you want and desire, it almost feels like they're a burden. And yet, this is one of the great blessings of life. Second idea is your greatest contribution to this world may be the children that you raise. Your greatest contribution. And so, can I just give you like an inside peek into my world as a pastor? Some of you like, or that's a weird world. No, thank you. I don't want to know what that is all about. But... But I live in this weird world. I, my dad was a pastor, and he's actually done pretty good for himself. He's done okay. Um, you know, on the radio, written books, done all these sort of things. And so I live sometimes with this pressure of performing, of some trying to be a somebody. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. You want to be a somebody. You want to have significance. You want to have success. And in my world, it's weird because it's like combined with this this. Fleshly, you want to have success, success and significance and all that. And then it's combined with like Jesus, you know, and it gets really weird. And so you want to have this kind of bigger stage, if you will. And I don't want a bigger stage. I want a smaller stage. But, but you want to be like, man, what's your, going to be your mark? 
And I remember, I wonder, I wonder what it would look like that perhaps my whole life is simply a setup. Perhaps my whole life is simply a setup for my kids to do more than I ever could. I don't know. I, I, I'm confident that God's using my life, so don't come and go, oh, poor pastor, whatever. No, please. But here's the thing. What if we began to look at our kids as a blessing, not a burden, and that perhaps the greatest contribution to this world, the lasting impact, is the heritage you leave behind, and so your life is a setup for them. And so kids aren't a setback. It's thought number three. And this will lead us into the content this morning. Don't outsource your core competencies. Uh, we, we have a habit of this. Uh, there's a great little book, if you ever want to read it. Um, I, this is the concept where I got it from. It was um, How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. And he's a Harvard professor, and he takes a, a season uh, in his MBA course with his students, and he takes all the leadership principles, all the business principles that they've been learning, and he says, guess what? So often people win in business but fail in life. What if you began to apply the principles you know for business to your own personal life. And one of them is, we know in business, is that if you outsource your core competency, what you're known for, what you actually produce, then you no longer have a business. And yet we're doing that with our kids. See, someone else can do your job. I know that's not comforting to you. Someone else can travel around the world. Someone else, and you fill in the blank, but you're their only mom. You're their only dad. And we've begun to outsource. Outsource education, teaching, outsource spirituality. What's happening in our kids' ministry is amazing, by the way, but it is not... The foundation of their spiritual life. What we want to do is come alongside you and help reinforce you as the ones who are guiding them in the way of Jesus. So, what does it look like to not outsource your core competencies? Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the Apostle Paul talks to fathers. You can put in their mothers. One of the things that's so radical about this, and we covered some of the, the historical context uh, five weeks ago, is fathers held and wielded absolute power for the lifetime of a child. Think about that. A father could kill their own child, even an adult child in the Roman world. Didn't often happen. But a father had absolute power with zero accountability. And here the Apostle Paul speaks into it a radical new way of doing family. And he addresses the father. Now we'll speak mothers and fathers. But this was revolutionary in the ancient day, of saying, hey, guess what? Okay, it's not just kids obey your parents. Fathers, you have a responsibility too before God of what it looks like. Remember week one, what does it look like as a parent to mutually submit even to our kids? Here's what it looks like. Fathers, do not exasperate or provoke 
your children. Don't be hard. Don't be harsh. Don't break their spirit is what this word literally means. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Fathers, and I don't know about mothers because I'm not one, but I know as a dad, I can have a tendency to exasperate my kids, to provoke them, to be harsh, and to have high expectations. Uh, John MacArthur uh, defines this word exasperate and says, uh, Provoke is an ongoing pattern or treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated resentment that finally boils over in outward hostility. And so what it looks like to not outsource our core competencies is going to tell us, here's one thing that we're not to do as parents. Here's one thing, if you're doing it, and we're going to cover what that looks like, if you're doing it, work hard, stop doing it. And then he's going to tell us the positive side. But bring them up in training, instruction of the Lord. Bring them up. The word is literally nurture them. And then training, this idea of outsource. We outsource wisdom all the time, don't we? We let other people train our kids. We think it's the school uh, responsibility. We think it's, you know, the nanny that we pay's responsibility. We, we think the reason they have a bad attitude is because, well, they're kids. Yeah, it's true. Everybody has a bad day. But what are you training today for, that you'll produce tomorrow? That's so important with our kids. Because what we do today matters, not just for today, what we do as parents matters for the future of our kids tomorrow and in the instruction of the Lord. So I want to look at uh, what does it look like for us as parents, how, how we provoke our kids, and then look at specifically uh, what does it look like in bringing them up. So five ways parents provoke their children. Uh, the first way this comes out, and I'm sure there's others. These are probably all just mine. <laughs> is speaking harshly to them. Speaking harshly. Using shame words. Using words like you always. You never. What were you thinking? How could you? Speaking down to them. Speaking negatively. I know for me, one of the challenges can be my tone. first way that we exasperate or provoke our kids is in our words and how we speak. Second is, is when we compare them. Um, your kids, if you have more than one, or even if you just have one, was supposed to be different. When we compare them and say, why aren't you more like your brother why, why don't you get good grades like that other kid? Why don't you work harder the way they do? Remember, I said exasperate is to break their spirit. I think one of the great challenges as a parent, I know for me, is to discover those things that actually drive you nuts about your kids but, but you, you, you see like the, that God's going to use that really greatly one day. The, that strong will that you're just like, oh, it's driving me nuts. But you realize he's going to produce a leader. 
realize that that, that that compassionate heart that leads them to like not be responsible because they're just so in the moment, oh, you know, and you realize they're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus to people one day. But when we compare them, it kills that in them. First way we uh, provoke them is speaking harshly. Second is comparing. Third is overprotecting them. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some things, and this might hurt for a few. <sighs> All right. We got way too many helicopter parents. It's crazy. Now, I get it if you have a brand new kid and you've never had a kid. And I, I mean, when, when Ella was first born, I mean, Jenny and I would sit at the edge of the bed and we'd see her and is she breathing or not? Is she alive or not? Like multiple times throughout the night. And then I'd go put my hand up to her face to see if she's breathing. Then it'd wake her up. <laughs> I get it right at the beginning and, you know, the second one you realize, hey, they're tougher because they are getting beat up by their older sibling. And... But here's one of the things that's missing in our kids. We don't let them risk anymore. We don't help them develop a strong sense of self-worth and confidence because we do it for them. Confidence, by the way, isn't built by compliments, Confidence is built by being competent. Okay, that's really important because we're praising our kids for stuff they probably shouldn't be praised for. We're giving them trophies for things they didn't earn and not letting them experience the weight of, oh man, we came in third. Third doesn't get a trophy, it gets a ribbon. Why'd they get a trophy? Because they came in first, they did better. I, I'm sorry. But it, <laughs> Pet peeve, pet peeve. But we actually rescue them too quickly, don't we? We just rescue, we, we, we so, and it comes from such a good place, from such a good heart, from good intentions. But one of the ways that we provoke our kids is this overprotecting helicopter parenting. If we can think about we're not raising kids, we're raising adults. We're raising the next generation of leaders. I, that's why I'm actually really excited to take my daughter to Haiti. 12 years of age. Last year, we went to Mexico and visited an orphanage. Now we're going to Haiti together. I can't wait to take my boys on those trips as well. Age-appropriate things that develop adventure, that, that help them understand that God is big and he's working all around the world, that they get to see the true reality of poverty because we live in a place that they think like the worst thing in the world is to get Gouda cheese instead of sharp cheddar cheese on their grilled cheese. At their age, I had no idea what Gouda cheese was. I was probably 28 when I found out Gouda cheese, and it is good. But, but that's the challenges we face, especially in the Silicon Valley. Speaking harshly to them, comparing them, overprotecting them. Uh, fourth, unrealistic expectations. When we push them beyond what they are capable 
of, when we push them beyond what they're capable of. It might be, and all, each of your kids are different. Some of your kids are straight A students. Some are going to be straight C students, and that's what they're capable of. And that you celebrate the C, thank you, Dave, you celebrate the C <laughs> as much as you celebrate I mean, my kids are playing baseball right now. It's really interesting to see how much our self-worth and identity gets built up on how little kids hit and play a ball on a field. And you see parents pushing and pushing their kids. And it's a tension, right? It's, a, it's something that I don't think we'll ever get 100% right. We'll have unrealistic expectations, and sometimes we'll figure out, oh, you know what? I didn't have quite high enough for them. And sometimes we'll realize, oh, you know what? I, I had too high for them. I, I think it's, it would be naive to think that we're going to just have it perfect the whole time because some of your kids need a, a swift kick in the rear at times, and others need, man, just a, just a hold, just to listen. And it's our job as parents to really discover the unique person that God has made them to be and with God help guide them to become who he made them to be. And finally, number five, neglecting them. I would say of all five, this is most uh, prevalent in the Silicon Valley. Neglecting them. Whether it's you're just gone I think one of the main ways we neglect our kids today is we put a screen in front of them. Listen, if your child cannot be okay with no, if they throw a tantrum with no when it comes to your phone, your tablet, if you can't sit around a dinner table, and I know this is age appropriate, but if you can't sit around a dinner table without a screen, you're building an addictive response in your kids and it's hurting their future. You know that um, every time, I don't have my phone on me, um, but every time you open up your phone, it releases that little chemical dopamine in your brain. Like the same, you know, thing that you get when you hit, you know, a cigarette or anything like that. Or just, you know, it develops this addictive cycle in us. We have age limits of what, when you can smoke and when you can um, drink and all those sort of things. And yet we've never thought about the implications of what we hand our kids. And I would just encourage you, and I know it's going to be hard. There's seasons, we did it in January, where we do as a family a media fast, where we cut out media. We do it a couple times a year where we don't watch TV or movies. And, uh, and it's the same for mom and dad, by the way. Mom and dad are the worst you know, culprits of this, right? But where we just cut it out. You know what's amazing? We play board games. And it's fun. 
and we're hanging out and we're having quality time because we're not distracted by stuff around us all the time. I think sometimes we neglect them by the way of trying to have them experience everything. I remember Andy Stanley, he's a pastor, uh, many of you probably know him. He once said, we're raising experience-rich, relationally poor kids. Because we're running them around to every single event, yet 99.9% of them will not turn pro or get a scholarship. But we're never spending quality time, never having those conversations. Five ways that we provoke our kids, speaking harshly, comparing them, overprotecting them, unrealistic expectations, neglecting them. Um, The other day, uh, one of my kids had a really poor response. It's shocking. That, I mean, they're, they're perfect all the time. Um, and, and he got in trouble because he couldn't control... I, at first, I was trying to like keep the gender neutral right there, and then I s- shifted to the masculine pronoun. Um, <laughs> he got in, tr- in trouble because he couldn't control his tongue. And he started to just like say stuff, boom, 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 boom. And then later came back and said, well, I didn't mean it. I said, I know, son, but you can't take it back. And, and so as we're having this conversation, I, I was sharing with him a story. You know what, bud? I struggled with the same thing when I was your age. <laughs> it's really painful to see all your own faults walking around on little legs, isn't it? <laughs> I said, I struggled with the same exact thing. And I remember one night, we were watching some show as a family. And I remember saying, and there's a couple cuss words that came out of my mouth, you know. And my parents were like, what? You know. And I remember having to go to bed early. The sun was, you know, it was like later. What sun went still. It's daylight out. But that marked me. I said, son, I love you too much to let you speak that way. It will harm you and others in the long run. And so unfortunately, you're going to have to go to bed early. And we set some, some guidelines for that behavior. He wrote me a note. He's a writer. He's a deep thinker. Really sweet boy. And in the note, it was interesting. He wrote, I'm sorry that I'm such a bad kid. And you're such perfect parents. It was interesting. Both Jen and I read it and at different times had a very similar conversation. And I said, son, we're far from perfect parents. You remember those times when I've lost my anger and yelled or when I did that? Yeah. And I came and I said, what? You're sorry. It's so important that we apologize to our kids and model for them. I say, yeah, I'm sorry, buddy. And remember I told the story of, yeah. And what you need to know, you're not, a, you're not a bad kid at all. Man, mommy and daddy, we're so thankful for you. We love you. We're so proud of you. And what you're going through is normal. It's, we've all struggled. I, I struggled with it. And I love you. This is why this is so important for us as parents that we begin to process. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot outsource our core competencies of being the parent present in the room. 
So that's what provoking looks like. What is bringing them up? Let's go positive, Ingram. Okay, that would be good. Bringing them up. Four words I want you to think about what we cannot outsource. Nurture, discipline, wisdom, and Jesus. You can't outsource those four things. Nurture, discipline, wisdom, and Jesus. Um, In the passage, it says bring them up. It's the word nurture. It's the, the tender caring of. That's what it means. Nurture them in the Lord. And then this whole idea in the NIV, it says training. It's the word discipline. That you provide appropriate boundaries for them at their stage of life. And I'll talk a little bit about what ours are uh, on the, when we get to it. But you provide appropriate boundaries for them that help them become who God made them to be. And then also wisdom or instruction. In the NIV it says instruction. We are losing, we have a generation that wasn't taught how to do things. We got to start taking that back in and stop assuming that the school system is going to teach our kids how to do X, Y, and Z. I remember my mom when I was going off to college, she taught me how to write a letter and ask for somebody to write, you know, um, do what's it called when you uh, a reference, right? And so she sat me down. We filled out the top form, everything we could fill out, put it in there, wrote a note to them, gave them an envelope with a stamp on it already ready, wrote all the stuff on the front. Is, listen, I give out tons of references, And you know how many come prepared, ready? I have to do all the work. A lot of times I have to hunt down just to give you a positive reference. I know that's silly, but we haven't taught them wisdom in how to work. We haven't taught them wisdom in how to yield their finances. We haven't taught them wisdom in these core areas of life. Instruct them, instruct them. It's what we're called to do. We can't outsource it. And then most of all, and the last but not least, is Jesus. And the instruction of the Lord. It's about Jesus. You, your job, my job, is my first ministry is my home. The people I must disciple first are those in my home. And they're very little and it looks very different. And before you think that the Ingrams have these like amazing times around the dinner table and we just read scripture to one another and my kids go, oh, Father, thank you so very much. It couldn't be further from the truth. We all got in a family argument trying to name the new dog we're getting. But we're taking time. And it doesn't look a lot of times the way it is in my head, but we're working at it and working at it. I want to read for you the, the, the very first um, instruction to parents in the Bible. It comes out of Deuteronomy. It's, it's also known uh, to the, uh, as the Shema, the great Shema. Um, it, it is this idea, this is what a, a Jewish person recites every day. And yet in it comes instruction that I think is really important for us. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments. Now, can I help you out? I've shared this before, so some of you know this already. But having kids help me understand commandments. 
See, I grew up in the church, and some of you did too, and you thought you had a God that wanted you to miss out. You thought you had a God who was withholding fun from you. Because why? There's commandments. When I had Ella, all of a sudden, I saw God as Father way different. These commandments. Now, think about this. Um, in our house, Ella is about three years old, and she's running through the house with scissors like this. You know, as a three-year-old would run. She runs better now. <laughs> and I immediately went, stop, oh, stop. That's probably not the right response, probably scared her. You know, thankfully her eye's fine. We have commandments. We have rules in our home. Like, don't play in the street. And what I realized, these commandments. See, in my home, they're not to keep my kids from fun. They're to keep them from harm. Is so that they can experience the very best life possible. What would change in your life? This is for everyone now. Hello, come. What would change in your life if you began to view you have a perfect heavenly father who lovingly is putting things around you, guardrails to guard you from harm, that you would entrust it to him and realize that every single command in the Bible is simply an I love you from your heavenly father to you. And he's not trying to keep you from fun. He's trying to help you become who you long to be and who he made you to be. These commandments I give you today and are beyond your hearts. Impress them. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Bringing them up, this whole nurture, discipline, wisdom, Jesus. First, you need to understand it begins with you. You can't give what you don't already possess. For some, you're going, okay, I need some discipline in my own life. For some, the foundation of my life isn't Jesus, and I can't pass that on, and so it begins with you. It needs to be modeled. Uh, James Baldwin wrote this, Children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. You see, more is caught than taught. Our kids see what we do, how we do it, and they just simply repeat it. And I just got to tell you, so growing up as a pastor's kid, us PKs have a terrible track record for ending up and loving Jesus, and most of us go off the deep end, okay? I'll tell you this. I did not have perfect parents. I had good parents, loving parents, made mistakes, owned them. What I had was a dad on Sunday who got up and preached, and on Monday was the exact same person. I'll tell you, that more than anything else shaped me as a man and as someone that was wrestling in my younger years with my faith. The consistency of his walk and integrity, that he wasn't playing some show for everybody else and being a jerk. See, you have to model it. If you want your kids to have a courageous faith, you have to model it. If you want your kids to be kind and caring and compassionate, you have to model it. If you want them to respond to needs, if you want them to speak in a way 
of respect to others, you have to model it. It begins with you. It needs modeling. And then finally, it takes intentionality. Autopilot is for planes, not parenting. Um, one of the things that I love, there's a mom in our church. They, the family's been coming, I, I don't know, maybe like maybe six months now. And she's wanting to intentionally help her kids memorize scripture and then involved a lot of the families in our own church. And now we got uh, our kids, it's impacted our kids' ministry where they're memorizing scripture. And I just love it. It's a great idea uh, of taking a single verse, hiding God's word in their heart. How important is it that we hide God's word in our heart, not only as adults, but as kids, as shapes who they are. So let me give you a, a quick framework for what this looks like. And I don't have time to unpack this. But I got this box from Phil and Diane Comer. They do a parenting uh, conference called Intentional, uh, Intentional Parenting. Um, we want to have them back uh, and do this. But what I loved about this box, and I don't have time to unpack it, what I loved about it was when they're talking about your family and being intentional, uh, she really talked about um, all four sides. And really all four sides is the, the nurture the instruction, the discipline, and Jesus. And so if you just bring it up, if you'll just notice that Jesus is the foundation of the box. And that you just have Jesus as the foundation. And what I love about it is fun is on top. What you need to know, both my wife and I, that's the one we're, we're, we like the most. <laughs> Unfortunately, both of us are that way. We're like fun all the time. We love, we love fun. On the other side is Discipline. Of, of providing consequences. I was going to tell you that I, I, the ones that we do right now, our kids are in elementary school, to be consistent with discipline, with a, maybe it's a respectful attitude, be consistent, maybe it's a deceit, um, you know, you have a sneaky one, uh, maybe it's a lying one, but you got to be consistent in these areas. Right now, with, it's, uh, the thing we do is we do push-ups. Jenny calls herself a military mom. Um, but literally, and, and, and it's, it, it's like, oh, you know what? You, that was talk back to your mom that way. 25 push-ups. Make it down, pump it out. And they're building their body and a, a natural consequence. I mean, Jenny's done all sorts of things. We've done the timeouts. We've done the spankies. We've done all those sort of things. Uh, but this is just the one in the season that they're in. And the other side is order. And this idea of priorities, of having... Uh, uh, chores and family time and, and reading and praying at night together. Oh, I just encourage you. That's like one of my, my goals. So just so you know, I don't do this like perfectly. Just in, I, not at all. But just reading with my kids, praying with them at night. And what I love about this box is, as they describe it, is when they're little, the box is really small. As they get bigger, the box grows. But when you need one of the sides, like the discipline side, what they say is you tighten all four sides of that box. And often what we do, or I do, is I go into discipline mode. And realize, no, they need the fun, which is the affection as well, the nurture, the care, the attention, the listening. As much as they need the discipline and the order. And I would just invite you, would you today, as a parent, and as if you are... Um, you're not a, not a parent. As parent or not parent, thank you. Would you make Jesus your foundation? The foundation of your home, 
foundation of your life. I'm going to invite the band to sing uh, one last song. And if you would stand with me. We're going to sing the song, Good, Good Father. If you remember, it began with a few opening remarks that children are a blessing, not a burden. Your greatest contribution just might be your kids. When my kids were little, I put them on my shoulder. And I'd walk around. And that's the picture that I have from for parenting, that I long, I long to be a parent that keeps my kids on my shoulder so that they can see farther and they can go further. And I just want to remind you in this moment, you have a heavenly father who puts you on his shoulders. So you don't have to be a perfect parent. You just help point and keep pointing your kids to their perfect heavenly father who will give you grace, give you grace, and help you because he's putting you on your shoulders so that you can see farther and go further. Would we sing? Good, good, Father.